All right, after a Manic Monday Money Talk, uh, things maybe feel like they've settled down a little bit, but I wouldn't get too complacent. Uh, we're going to find out what you should be looking at with Alex Wong, Director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. Good morning, Alex. Right, good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Good to see you in our studio. Also uh, welcoming on the line, Michelle Lam, Greater China Economist with Societe Generale, Corporate and Investment Banking. Good morning, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Great to have you guys on. So, uh, you know, am I am I right? Are things settling down after the UBS Credit Suisse uh, tie-up, uh, or you know, should we still be uh, <laughs> should we still be on on major alert, Alex? I think uh, we should still be uh, on alert. Don't be too complacent. The market actually has been quite complacent, or you can say the market could be uh, has been quite resilient. However, I think uh, people would still be uh, concerned about um, the um, change uh, happened in the banking systems. After these events, I think uh, probably we would see uh, regulators to be more stringent on, 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 on regulating the industry. And also, I think uh, the handling of, um, of, the, of the bonds and the debts and the equities, I think, uh, would change uh, the market um, to perceptions of the risk involving uh, in, in, in investing in banks. So I think uh, this uh, still would cause uh, some turmoil in the market later on. Okay, and uh, Michelle, what uh, what is your alert level? Are you on uh, high alert, medium alert, or uh, are you fairly chilled? <laughs> um, it's really hard to be very chill after what happened over the last two weeks. I think um, over the coming weeks, the market is going to still be the very sensitive to any new vote. Especially we have the, the Fed announcement coming in this week. Um, I think uh, what happened... Um, the resolution of the credit suite merger with the UBS it's uh, a sort of a uh, uh, good development in the sense that we don't need to see some see, see a worse outcome in the sense that there may be national, uh, nationalization or liquidation. But um, I think what happened with the, the this additional tier one the cocoa bonds. Uh, the handling of the situation, uh, I think as Alex put it, I think the market will still need to uh, figure out uh, whether the same thing may happen in the future for the investors who buy the cocoa bonds, like uh, what, uh, what the government, uh, what the authorities are going to, to do with it if the, the situation happens when it comes to restructuring terms. So um, I think it is still a pretty, pretty volatile market environment. Yeah, and I think cocoa bonds are maybe one of these things that most people didn't really have on their radar, but now they're going to be expected to know what it is. Uh, do either one of you want to take a crack at that? My understanding is that uh, shareholders know that they are going to get wiped out on this deal. Uh, bond holders are getting wiped out on it, uh, but cocoa bonds were kind of in a weird in-between place. Do either one of you want to try and explain what a cocoa bond is? Alex? So, uh, uh, Michelle, yeah. go ahead. So the, normally the, the cocoa bonds uh, should be the ones that, uh, uh, well, shareholders definitely, the equity holders should be the one that uh, took a hit first when it comes to a liquidation situation, a bankruptcy situation. Uh, but then the cocoa bonds are something that uh, invented uh, after the 2008 financial crisis, which is a somewhat a hybrid instrument. It uh, has a similarity over the shareholders, normally speaking, when it comes to a liquidation, so which means that the shareholders will get wiped first before uh, the, the cocoa bond holders. Uh, but actually, uh, even for last night, I think the, the ECB regulators come out and clarify the situation that shareholders 
will uh, get wiped out first before the cocoa bond. So I think that uh, they are really seeking uh, seeking to calm the market. Uh, we haven't seen the other regulators coming out and clarify the situation, but I, I think it is uh, comforting to see what the ECB has said on it. Yeah, I mean, the whole point of those cocoa bonds after 2008 was, uh, hey, guys, step in, buy these, and you'll help us save the bank, and don't worry, you'll be ahead of shareholders. Uh, but now I guess people are confused. They're like, wait a second, uh, is that not the case? I mean, Alex, is this is this the end of cocoa bonds or AT1 bonds, as they're also known? Yeah, I think uh, that probably will be the end because uh, this is a little bit too confusing to, to investors, and you feel unsecure in investing in cocoa bonds. Of course, uh, riskier assets actually would bring a higher yield. But I think uh, the the U is probably not be attractive enough for people to put in money for that because um, in this case actually uh, we are seeing um, the condition trigger um, even before they should be. So I think uh, that's why people feel unsecure in this type of asset and I and and, and probably uh, investment in 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 invest in interest in the banking stocks actually would uh, decrease because uh, this shows that uh, the, the the industry actually is uh, is uh, operating in high leverage but uh, low trans uh, but very low transparency so that is a uh, quite risky and the and the return actually may not be attractive enough yeah I mean CEOs around the world are probably chasing down into their bond department saying do how much how much exposure do we have to this because I mean HSBC took a bit of a hit on their share price yesterday on on you know word going out they have exposure to this category um how you know are, or how long is it going to take for us to figure out who's exposed to this and who isn't I think that that depends on the the, the, the investigation and then warrant with that disclosure. But the whole market actually probably would be about uh, two or three hundred billion US dollar. So I think uh, the, the that is manageable within those uh, uh, big financial institutions. Although the number is big, but I think it's manageable. Okay, uh, Michelle, what about on this side of the world? Uh, exposure maybe from from Chinese banks to to this kind of uh, these kind of bonds or other impacts from the Credit Suisse uh, blowout. Um, so the majority of the issues, I would say the, the European banks and uh, also to some extent the, the Chinese bank and Australian banks as well. So I think um, this is why the overcoming with the market is going to be quite volatile and see who are, who are, who are actually the buyers of the, of the credit suite, uh, cocoa bonds and the other the, the additional tier one bonds uh, in this respect as well. So I think uh, it is, this is an uncertainty that, uh, that that's going to uh, cost a, a lot of volatility. The market. Mm. And I know one of the other big uh, kind of debt restructuring stories uh, that we've been following is the whole situation with uh, Evergrande, China Evergrande Group. And it, it's they made an announcement that it looks like they have some kind of a deal coming together that they would be uh, they would be making an announcement about soon. Do either one of you have a take on the on Evergrande and the implications for the broader Chinese property market? I think uh, even they could have a deal that the restructuring process actually would take years. So uh, it would be a very slow and lengthy process. Uh, so I think uh, the the help would be not much uh, for the uh, higher market uh, in in the, in China because uh, even uh, without the banking crisis right now, uh, actually uh, people would be quite um, worried about the uh, the property market in China uh, in the long term. Although we are seeing some um, signs of a recovery in the first two months of this year, but I don't think uh, uh, people would be very confident in putting money long term in this sector. And and any restructuring actually would take years. We are not talking about uh, a, an instant solution. We probably talk about um, a two to three years process. Yeah, Michelle. Um, I think 
I think it is hard to be very optimistic about the property stocks uh, in China right now, uh, even though we are having some good developments coming from the housing market uh, for the first two months. Um, I think I would like to see the situation in the, in, the, in two perspectives. So one is the, the housing demand, which, uh, of course, um, the government has been emphasizing on uh, curbing the speculative demand over the last couple of years. Um, and the housing sales have dropped a lot last year, about 30%. And, uh, and the, now the government is really doing a U-turn in the sense that they are trying to draw a lot of stimulus, cutting mortgage interest rates and lowering down payments to support the housing demand. So I would say that actually, um, from a fundamental perspective, maybe the correction of the housing sales is, uh, is pretty much complete. And if we just look at the long-term housing demand, we know that um, there's not going to be a strong recovery. But probably uh, we would see that uh, the property sales should start to stabilize for this year. But then I think um, for the investment perspective, that is really concerning the, the future uh, profitability of the property sector. I think um, a lot of the firms are still that have a very high leverage. I think um, even when we come to a situation that the revenue is starting to stabilize, the, the banks, the bond issuers are more willing to provide funding to the property developers. I think they are really in a, in a deleveraging mode in the sense that they are not trying to, they are not going to uh, use these revenue to build up their land reserves. They are not going to uh, have aggressive expansion plans. So, which means that I think for the for the property stocks, uh, it's uh, it's actually pretty hard to be positive. And I remember, you know, back in November, the, uh, you know, the regulators fired what they called their, their three arrows. I love the imagery. The three arrows, uh, bank credit, bond issuance and equity financing. Are they going to load those arrows up again and, and shoot them again? Or is that are those one time use only and they uh, they're going to have to let the market work itself out now? I think those uh, the, the easing measures announced in last November is working to some extent, but as as I said, it's really even if you get the funding, the, they are going to focus on leveraging. They are not going to focus on uh, expanding the uh, building the land reserves that would uh, lead to profit uh, those years later. So I think it's uh, maybe from a from the from the credit perspective, maybe it is going to be positive. But from the property, uh, from the equity perspective, I think it's uh, it's still going to be a rather uh, rather bleak situ- situation for the for the property. Right, um, Alex. I'm wondering. I'm looking at the Evergrande. Uh, you know, started some of the details are starting to come out now, and they're they're talking about. Uh, uh, some of the support that they're getting is, is from their overseas creditors. And I mean, great. I guess they want to make sure they don't get completely washed out, uh, lose all their money. But I mean, how much support can the Chinese property sector expect from external funders in the future? Like, I mean, is, has the global investment community gone off Chinese property for good or for the near, you know, for the foreseeable future? What's, what's your, what are your clients saying? I, I think at, at least in the foreseeable future, people would uh, feel pretty unsafe because uh, in the past two years actually they got very bad experience and the and the process of uh, recovering something actually would be very long so uh, we are talking about a really extended period of our recovery uh, of the money so I've of partial partial investment only um, so I think uh, uh, they probably are not uh, interested in coming back so and, and actually if you look at the market actually the spread is wide and liquidity is low so I think uh, the investment interest in in the um, higher market actually would be very, very still be very bad mm-hmm. and I mean that's that's a lot of bad <laughs> that's a lot of bad news and we had our view from mainland China yesterday in our uh, 
our, our Andrew of yesterday was not very uh, confident about the, the general state of the Chinese economy. But um, it was a little event last night, and they, you know, they were still, I'd say, had some bright spots they could see in terms of, uh, you know, the opening up and in, increasing consumer demand in some areas. But w- I'd be curious to get the take for either one of you. Um, you know, we got about two minutes left. How are there any bright spots in the Chinese economy that you are keeping your eye on and have some hope for? I think uh, uh, people are more comfortable in 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 the in the SOE sectors and and the increase in infrastructure spending and government spending in certain sectors and and also I think uh, people will feel more comfortable in in the telecom sectors as well and of course consumer would always be the focus uh, of overseas consumer uh, of our investors in China. Okay, why why telecoms? Uh, because uh, they probably would have a new gold spots in uh, car infrastructure. People used to be interested in Alibaba uh, and Tencent uh, in, in that area, but I think uh, uh, car infrastructure actually is, uh, is, is very strategic. So people would would like to people think uh, the government would like to see them uh, being in control by uh, state-owned enterprises. So I think the telecom is taking over the uh, the, 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 the investment uh, the car infrastructure firm from the uh, private enterprises this year. Okay, Michelle, you got you got one minute to close us out. Uh, any do you, do you agree with that, or do you have some other bright spots that you're looking at in yeah. the Chinese economy? I think I agree with that. I think to some extent, there's still some concerns uh, within the investors that um, the private sector, like how how willing is the government going to support the private sector versus the state sector? I think um, this is the, there's still a big question mark among the investors. And uh, probably we're seeing the preference maybe gradually shifting to uh, the investing in the SMEs, thinking that there could be some revaluations coming up. That's one. And I think secondly, definitely the consumption space. We are seeing a lot of uh, positive uh, data coming from the services spending in the consumption for the first two months of this year. So I think um, that's going to be really the key driver of the overall economy this year, given that the property, we're just looking for stabilization and the, the trade is not going to do very well. And I think for the longer term theme, uh, really it's going to focus uh, on the, the manufacturing upgrade, uh, we strengthening the, re- re- uh, the, uh, the uh, independence of the economy, okay. uh, which is which means that focusing on the cloud, like data, data space, semiconductors, and I think these are going to be the uh, long-term investment themes in China over the next couple of years and also the green transition. All right. Thank you very much, Michelle Lam, Greater China Economist, Association. General Corporate Investment Banking and uh, regular guest Alex Wong, Director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. Still to come.